is the Christian life all about? It can be summarized in three words. Know God intimately. These three words are what the Christian life is all about. Knowing God intimately. And sometimes we forget about those three words and we try to substitute it and we try to to do all sorts of things and we get busy and we try to make up for not knowing God by doing for God. But if we miss these three words, knowing God intimately, we've missed it. In other words, it's a relationship. It's a relationship with God. Another way to say it is the entire Christian life. Our life is about walking with God. It's about a relationship with God. It's about knowing God intimately. I've officiated many, 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 many weddings. And can you imagine if I stood up here and there was a, there was a groom and there was a bride and I officiated their wedding and I turned uh, them towards the, their friends and their family and I said, I introduce to you for the first time Mr. and Mrs. whatever it might be. And so everybody stands up and they celebrate and they go on their way and, and everybody, you know, throws birdseed at them and, and they get in a car and they drive off and they kiss and they're so elated to be bride and groom, husband and wife. And can you imagine then if the groom uh, drives in front of the bride's house and he says, okay, well, I enjoyed it today. And she says, well, I enjoyed it too. And she kisses him and she gets out of the car and he rolls down the window and he says, okay, how about I pick you up next Friday night at seven? And she says, okay, seven sounds good. So next Friday night, a full week rolls around. He drives over, he picks her up, they go to dinner, they go to a movie, and then he takes her home and he says, listen, I'm going to be busy the next couple of weeks, but how about I pick you up in a couple of weeks? We'll go do something, you know, we'll go play putt-putt or something. And she says, okay, that sounds great. So two weeks later, she picks him up, or he picks her up, they, they, they go, they, they play putt-putt, they have a great time and he drops her off and he says well thank you and she says well thank you and and he says you know what um in about a week like next Saturday I'm pretty busy but next Saturday I'm going to come by and I'm going to mow your yard for you and she says okay hey that'd be great so next Saturday he comes by they haven't seen each other in about a week a few times they might text throughout the week but but they haven't seen each other and then he comes by next Saturday he mows her lawn she comes out she waves he waves and he says do you need anything else and she says no I guess that's about it and he goes he says, okay, great. She says, great. Okay, I'll see you later. I'll text you sometime this week. And then she says, that's fine. Now, what kind of marriage is that? What if that marriage persisted like that for about the next 15, 20, 25, 50 years? What a sorry, horrible marriage. Yet, isn't that the commentary on many of our relationships with Jesus Christ? Rather than embracing the conviction that the entire Christian life is about knowing God intimately, what have we deluded it to? What have we turned it into? We've turned it into a process of doing for God. And so we show up at church, we wave to God, we say, God, you want me to do anything for you? Or there's some homeless people I can feed around the holiday times or something like that. And we ought to, we ought to do good to the poor. That's very Christ-like. But if we make our Christian walk doing for God and about a process of doing for Him or occasionally praying, occasionally just waving at Him, we've missed it entirely. The entire Christian life is summarized in three words. What are those three words? 
knowing God intimately. That's it. That's it. What about changing the world? And what about leading people to Christ? And, and what about loving people? And, and what about walking in holiness? And what about righteousness? All of those things flow as a result of knowing God intimately. Well, what about leading and visions and dreams and serving and praying for people and healing and all? All of these things are a result of knowing God intimately. Well, what about reading my Bible and what about giving money and what about all of these things are the result of knowing God intimately. And if we miss these three things, we've missed it all. In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 5, it's really, if you just go home and read it, it's probably going to be a pretty discouraging chapter. It looks like uh, the the obituary section of our newspaper. It says, so-and-so lived so many years and he died. 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 This is redundant, isn't it? Well, so so is Genesis chapter 5. Over and over and over. So-and-so lived so many years and he died. So-and-so lived so many years and he died. So-and-so lived so many years and he died. So-and-so lived so many years, and he died. And then Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. So-and-so lived so many years, and he died. So-and-so lived so many years, and he died. There we have a diamond that's just glistening in the, in the rough. Of all of these people who lived and died, God singled out somebody who did so much more than live and die. He singled out somebody who walked with him. Somebody who knew him intimately. What is the entire Christian life about? Knowing God intimately. Like Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. It's about a relationship. It's walking with God. It's knowing God intimately. It's loving God. And anything that we do flows from our heart. In fact, there's an old Hebrew. It's not in scripture, but it's an old Hebrew tradition about Enoch. That one morning as Enoch did so many mornings before, he got up to walk with God, to know God, to love God, and to relate with God, and to depend upon God, and rely upon God. And Enoch walked with God early in the morning, and Enoch continued to walk with God through lunch, and then Enoch continued to walk with God through the sunset, and then Enoch continued to walk with God, and the sun was about to dip down below the horizon and become dark. And then God said to Enoch, Enoch, you've walked with me so far now. In fact, you're closer to my home than your home. Why don't you just keep walking with me? And so Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more in this life, but he walked on with God. And isn't that the greatest commentary for any of our lives? We walked with God, and then we walked with him right into the sunset, which was the sunrise of eternity. We walk with God. Let me just ask you, what have you made your life? Have you made about doing for God, doing for the people around you, making ends meet at the end of the month, uh, worrying about what people think of you? What have you made your life? In the final analysis, only three words matter, knowing God intimately. And everything flows from that. 
And I wonder if some of us are like the church in Revelation when Jesus said, you've lost your first love. Return to your first love. Do the things that you did at first. Return to your first love. You're very religious. You're, you're, you're very religious and you want to know what? You're very guilty. I mean, your, your heart is very condemning of itself and, and you've got a guilty conscience. But that doesn't serve me. That doesn't glorify me. That doesn't bless me, God says. What I want for you is to return to your first love. Know me intimately. There's a great preacher, W.A. Criswell, and I believe it was on his 80th birthday. He had a lot of friends and family around, and I met W.A. Criswell, great, well-known preacher. He's, been past, he's passed away many years now, but I met him once shortly before he passed away, and I was really looking forward to some inspiring words from him. And he said, he saw me, and he, he introduced himself, and he said, uh, this was like, you know, this is probably uh, 30 years ago, and he said, oh... This is exactly what we need, another blonde-headed man in the pulpit. And I thought this wasn't quite the words of inspiration that I was hoping for from W.A. Criswell. But then he went on to talk to a a group of pastors, and, and this is what he said. Oh, reserve the morning times for God. What's he saying? Know God. Seek God. Have a relationship with God. Reserve the morning times for God. And your congregation is going to say, what's that pastor of ours doing behind closed doors? Oh, but when Sunday morning comes around, they'll know what you are doing behind closed doors. You are knowing God intimately. And on W.A. Criswell's 80th birthday, they asked him, how real is Jesus to you? And with tears streaming down his cheeks, he looked at his hands and they were shaking. And he says, Jesus is as real to me as the back of my hands. He knew God. What in the final analysis does God want from all of us? The bottom line is that we know God intimately. Everything that we need to do for God or to do in this world flows out of that. How many times do we say silly things like, I want to change the world, or I want to do this, or I want to make a difference? What any of that means anyway, but isn't that ultimately self-serving? Because can't we climb a ladder and build our own kingdom? But what are we to do? No God intimately. I'm often convicted and challenged and encouraged by the story of the mouse that wanted to walk across the bridge and make it shake. And he walked across the bridge and stood in the middle and jumped up and down and the bridge didn't budge. So exasperated he goes and he sits under a tree and then he sees this big old elephant meandering along and the mouse asks the elephant hey where are you going and the elephant says I'm going to walk across the bridge and the mouse says you mind if I walk along and the elephant says no that's fine so the elephant and the mouse walk across the bridge and man that bridge shakes and it thunders and the mouse looks up at the elephant and says wow we sure can make some noise together can't we and that's what the Christian life is about walking with Jesus And in doing that, there's an authority, there's a weight, there's an anointing where God can do whatever he wants to do in this world. But it's not about us doing things in this world. It's about knowing God intimately. And again, if we miss that, we've missed it all. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. May that be on our epitaph. You know, sometimes in the middle of the week, in the middle of the month... In the middle of disappointments, we think that our epitaph would most appropriately read, well, he tried. (laughs) He gave it all he had. But 
the most beautiful, beautiful epitaph. He walked with God. He knew God intimately. You know what? If we walk with God, if we know God intimately, we're not going to miss... We're not going to miss a cue. We're, we're not going to miss an appointment. We're not going to miss an obligation. We're not going to miss an assignment. We're not going to miss our purpose. If we walk with God intimately, day after day after day, He'll do everything He wants to do through us, and it's more than we could ever do on our own. In fact, God can do more through us after five minutes of intimately knowing Him than we can do in 50 years of striving to do for Him. And the final analysis, it is about knowing God intimately. Have you ever loved Jesus more than you love Jesus today? If so, you're backslid. And you need to return to your first love. It's a relationship with God. Do you hunger for anything in this world more than Jesus to satisfy your soul or to give you self-esteem? If so, you're backslidden and you need to return to your first love. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. May the same be said of us. Jesus said those three words like this. Paul Paul used this phrase, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. In other words, I don't care if it's a blessing or I don't care if it's difficulty. I don't care if it's a trial. I, I, I don't care if it's a valley of the shadow of death that I have to walk through. I don't care what it is. If it drives me to Jesus, I want it. If it makes me pray more, if it makes me depend more, if it makes me trust more, God, give it to me. I don't want comfort. I want you. I don't want people thinking I'm great. I want you. And whatever it is that drives me closer to you, give it to me. Because Paul understood that life was about three words, knowing God intimately. Jesus used these two words, remain in me, or these three words, remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. In other words, it's a relationship This thing isn't about religion, it's a relationship. It's not about what we do for God, it's about what He's done for us, and we we rest in that, we trust in that, and we know Him. It's a relationship. And isn't that what, what separates the walk after Christ and the walk with Christ from every other religion? On Sunday nights, we've been studying about Islam. We've had a professor coming in from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He, his specialty is Islamic studies. He's also a missionary to Islam, to Muslims. And, you know, he talks about how to become a Muslim. And, you know, there's five things that you have to do and these five pillars. And, and that's so man-made, isn't it? And if you do these five things, then you get to spend all of eternity with, what, 70 virgins? I mean, can't you just tell when a guy made something up? Can't you? <laughs> I mean, it's not even close to being holy or divine. You do these five things for God, and if you blow yourself up by blowing other people up, you get a straight shot. Forget about the five things. You get a straight shot to heaven, and then you get these 70 virgins. I mean, how man-made is that? Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't do anything for me. I've done it all for you. 
I did it all for you on the cross. And I said, it's accomplished. It's finished. You can't do anything else for me. But now just receive this trust. Trust me in this. And now all I want for you is your heart. I want a relationship with you. Walk with me. And Jesus put it like this. Remain in me. Remain in me. So let's take a look at John chapter 15. This is our text. John chapter 15. And as I read this, you know, so often we think, especially in in this election season, we think, gosh, we need a Republican, we need a Democrat, we need to lower taxes, that'll solve everything. We need to raise taxes, that'll solve everything. We need to cut spending, that'll solve everything. We need to increase spending, that'll solve everything. Uh, we need to we need to bolster our defense, that'll solve everything. We need to we need to streamline our defense, that'll solve everything. We need more boots on the ground, that'll solve everything. We need to bring our boots home, that'll solve everything. No, 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 no. The answer is not in the White House. The answer is in the church. The answer is in the Christians walking with Jesus intimately so that there's a weight, there's an authority, there's an anointing behind what we do. And that's what is going to transform our communities. That's what's going to transform our cultures. Everything that we need to do has been done by Christ. Our responsibility is to love Jesus. And everything that we need to do for God to transform the world is an outflow of loving Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 1. I'm just, I'm just going to read through verse 11, Jeremy. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Okay, well, we better bear some fruit, right? Well, yeah, so how do we do that? Interestingly, it's not by striving to bear fruit. It's by loving Jesus, and the fruit is the result. Jesus uses the example. He says, I am, and this is one of these powerful, beautiful uh, I am statements. I am, and uh, he is the, the living water. He's the bread of life. He's the, he's, the, um, he's the resurrection. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He says, I am, and this is another I am statement. He says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Now, what is a branch? A branch is attached to the vine, right? And then what comes off of the branch? Well, fruit. And what does the vine have to do to produce the fruit? Nothing except for remain attached. What does the branch have to do? Nothing except remain attached to the vine. And what is this? It's a relationship. All the fruit that we need to bear is a result of our relationship with Jesus. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, I love this. Verse 3. Watch this. Watch this. This is going to be so encouraging to you guys. Y'all are going to love this. Watch this in verse 3. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Before Jesus gets into abiding in him and all of this that that results in, he, he says this. Listen to this. Listen closely. Listen closely. You're already clean. Let's get that out of the way, Jesus is saying. Let's, let's settle this matter once and for all. This isn't Islam. Although Islam wouldn't exist for about another 500 years. But this isn't Islam. He says you're already clean. There, there aren't p- five pillars that you have to do. This, this isn't some religion, this works-based religion. You, you don't have to do a bunch of things. He says, you're already clean because the word I have spoken to you. What's the word? It's the gospel, believing that Christ died for our sins. You're already clean. You're already the righteousness of God. You're already holy. You're already forgiven. Therefore, as Christ's servant today, I would like to stand before you and declare that I will have, as preaching God's word, nobody 
Nobody condemning themselves any longer. Nobody believing these condemnation lies. When you look in the mirror, you have no right to see filth, to see dirt, to be disgusted with what you see. Why? Because you are already clean. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of the word that Christ spoke, because of the gospel. You are already clean. You are the righteousness of God. So listen closely. Therefore, any voice under any circumstance that leads you away from God is a voice of deception. Any event in your life, whether it's a success or whether it is a failure, is an instrument in the hand of God to drive you closer into a relationship with Christ. If you succeed, well then praise God. If you see a harvest, well then that drives you closer to God by praising Him. And if you stumble back into some besetting sin, well then by the grace of God, that can drive you closer to Him as you're more immersed in His grace. Any voice under any circumstance that keeps you away from God is a deceiving voice. The only true voice is that voice that says, come unto me. All who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You are already clean. You are already forgiven. You are already the righteousness of God. So now let's get that settled. We don't have to become clean to know God intimately. We don't have to become clean to, uh, to, to walk with God. We don't have to become clean to remain in Him. We are clean. Why? Because of what you've done? No. Because of the word that Christ spoke over you. This is the gospel. And so when we understand that we are clean, then we can return to him. Now, let me just step down here because um, this is a very important point, and I don't want anybody to miss it. And I've noticed that when I walk down here, sometimes you guys engage a little more. So this is really critical, all right? And I think the last time I came down here was to make this exact same point. So I think that the Lord really wants you guys to understand this. There's an enormous difference. It's, it's, they're, they're, it's polar opposites of one another between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of Satan. There's an enormous difference. But man, we really get them confused. Why do we get them confused? Well, because Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so he makes the condemnation look like it's conviction of the Holy Spirit, but it's not. It's condemnation from Satan. So if you stumble into some besetting sin, or maybe you don't have your quiet time for three days in a row, whatever it might be, then oftentimes Satan will start whispering these condemnation lies. And what is the difference between condemnation of Satan and the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Oh, it's night and day, but... But this is one of his greatest tools of deception against us. The condemnation of Satan causes us to hide from God. What does the conviction of the Holy Spirit do? The conviction of the Holy Spirit causes us to run to God. The condemnation of Satan causes us to run from God, to hide from God, and to um, comfort ourselves with sin. 
And so when we are beat up by condemnation, then guess what we do? We have this love-hate relationship with our sin. Where do we go? Well, we're running from God because we feel so condemned. We feel like dirt. We feel like trash. And so we run from God. But where do we run to? Well, we have nowhere else to run but that sin that we love but we hate so much. That's condemnation. Many Christians spend their entire Christian lives being beat up in condemnation. Now, sometimes, some Christians who are beat up in condemnation, they don't run into some gross uh, sin that the, that the church would, you know, like point their finger at and just be shocked. But many Christians, they run from knowing God intimately into religion, into doing for God desperately. But they're still getting beat down further and further and further with condemnation. So condemnation causes us to run from God, to hide from God, and to immerse ourselves either in gross sin or religious work. And that's how many Christians spend their entire life. And so their epitaph should read, they tried, or they felt horrible about themselves. But what does God want our epitaph, our life theme to be? He knew God intimately. He walked with God. She walked with God and she was no more. So what is the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Well, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is just the opposite of the condemnation of Satan. The conviction of the Holy Spirit causes us to run from our sin. The conviction of the Holy Spirit causes us to run from our religious works and comfort ourselves in God. And it's because the condemnation at the bottom line, the the underlying thought under the condemnation of Satan is God is disgusted with you. Therefore, comfort yourself, wallow in your sin, and try to do some religious works to feel differently. But the bottom line of the conviction of the Holy Spirit is Jesus adores you. Jesus misses you. Jesus longs for you. Jesus loves for you. There is no self-hatred in the, in the essence of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is all about the love and the comfort of Jesus. Let's go back to John chapter 15, verse 3. Jesus said, as he's talking about, this is Jesus' dispensation on how to have a relationship with him. This is his dispensation, and this incidentally is spoken on the eve of his crucifixion. These are Jesus' dying words before he gets to the cross. These are his dying words. This is the night before he dies. So if you were to go visit a dear family member that you loved, and you thought, you know, I can tell, you just can kind of tell that they're about to slip into eternity and spend forever with Jesus, and it was your last night with them, and you were beside their bed, and their words would be deliberate and meaningful, and impactful. You know, you're probably not going to talk about the Cowboys. Uh, you're probably not going to talk too much about Star Wars. Uh, but, but, but the words are going to be meaningful. And in the same way, these are Jesus' words to his disciples. They are slow. They are deliberate. They are meaningful. And it's the last words he speaks to them before his crucifixion. And what he's teaching them is on the final analysis, what matters most and what matters most, know God intimately or walk with God until we are no more. Or as Jesus puts it, remain in me. And he starts out by saying this, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He says, let's get this out of the way. You're already clean. 
Because if you try to make yourself clean, then what that's going to do is that is going to uh, just assault the intimacy that you could have with me. You're already clean by my grace, by the cross. Trust in that. And with that as your foundation, come unto me right now. How many of you guys have ever caught a fish? All right. I've caught a fish too. How many of you guys have ever caught a fish out of the lake that was already filleted and fried with a side of coleslaw beside it and, and some hush puppies? Raise your hand. No? A couple of you have already caught completely clean fish out of the lake. That's a miracle. That's awesome. You know what? None of us have. None of us have. And in the same way, Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, clean yourself up and then come to me. What is that? That's religion. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, come to me and by my strength, I will clean you up. You see the difference? I've told you guys a story about, before about a good friend of mine who on Sunday morning sometimes will walk around this building. I mean, months will go by and we don't know where he is, but guess where he is on Sunday morning? Walking around this building, we didn't know it, but he won't come in because he's got stuff in his life and he's got to get that cleaned up first. And I look at him in the eyes, I say, man, no, 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 no. Come, come first. Let, let Jesus just love you. Let him give you the strength. Let the body of Christ love you. You see, it's not about religion. What's it about? A relationship. It's about a relationship. So Jesus says, first things first in this relationship, this is what you have to know. This is paramount. This is foundational. If you miss this, then it will assault the intimacy that we could have. You're already clean. You are already clean. And then we go on to verse 4. And you realize from verse 4 to verse 11, within uh, how many? Seven, seven verses. In seven verses, Jesus says 11 times. Whoa, he must be trying to emphasize something, right? Mm-hmm. You, 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 you know when God is really emphasizing something in Scripture. One, when it's extremely simple, right? Also, when it's extremely redundant. And so Jesus here is being both extremely simple and extremely redundant. And that means that we better listen up, especially on the eve of his crucifixion when his words are slow and deliberate. He says 11 times in seven verses, remain in me. What is this? It's relationship. Stay connected to me. You're the branch. Don't try to do things on your own. You can do nothing. Not a little, not less, nothing. Remain in me. Stay connected with me. Well, the branch has to go clean itself up first, right? No, 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 no. Jesus says, you're already clean. That means right now, right now, return to him. Remain in him. Eleven times in seven verses, Jesus says, remain in me. And then there's more promises in here, but I've just gleaned three. There are three promises that will result from this remaining in him. Okay, let's look at them. Verse 3, just for redundant sake, just so we really get it, let's back up to verse 3. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, okay? So let's just get that out of the way. No room for condemnation, no room for self-hatred, no room to look in the mirror and, and see filth, disgust, worth, a lack of worth, nothing of that nature. You are already clean. Now, seven times, eleven times in seven verses, remain in me. And these are the three promises that result from it. 
Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. And you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what's the first promise that we glean from this? The first promise is that if we practice this daily relationship with God, then what happens? We will bear much fruit. But that promise has an inverse promise associated, a default promise associated with it. If we don't have this relationship, we will bear no fruit. We can do nothing, and anything we do is of the flesh. So this promise is really twofold. It's a two-sided coin. If we have a daily relationship with Jesus... And our mission in our heart is to know God intimately. The result of that is that we will bear much fruit. And if we don't do that, we can do nothing. How do you bear fruit? What is fruit? Well, fruit is, 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 is many things. Fruit is, is praying for somebody and they're healed. That's fruitfulness. Fruit is sharing your testimony with somebody and it draws them a step closer to Christ. If not to completely receiving Christ as a Lord and Savior. What's fruit? Fruit is just being around somebody and, and them just being around you makes them want to love Jesus more. I know many people, many of you are very fruitful in my life because just being around you makes me want to be more holy. And what is that? That's you walking with Jesus. Fruit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all flowing from your spirit. When we have this daily relationship with Jesus, the people around us want to be holy. People are drawn closer to Christ. People come to Christ. We have fruit because we have vision. We have purpose. We, we have conviction. We have focus. We're filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Would people around you say that you're fruitful? You want to know what you know if you're fruitful and you know if you're not fruitful. Because if you're fruitful, then you have peace, you have joy, you have love. If you're not fruitful, then you don't have peace, you're just irritated at everybody, and you're self-serving. Because if you're fruitful, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not fruitful, you're filled with the flesh. So the first promise is that you will be fruitful. Are you fruitful? Okay, here's the second promise. We'll continue to read. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such, a branch, such branch, branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But watch in verse 7. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you. Here it goes. Here's the second promise. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done unto you. Wow. The first promise is that if we have this daily relationship with Jesus, because it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. It's not about what we do for God, it's about what we, He has done for us. This isn't some man-made five pillars of Islam where we're looking forward to 70 virgins in heaven, or some nonsense like this. This is about the God, the creator of the universe, coming to earth and dying on the cross for us. Many times throughout history, peasants have died for kings. Only one time has the king died for the peasants. And that is when the king of kings died for you and me. What was this? When the king of kings died for you and me, this was his proposal. 
Have you guys ever seen, have you all ever been watching like the NBA on TV or something like that, and then there's some guy in the stands and he has a diamond ring, and then he gets on his knees and he holds a diamond ring out before a girl, and the whole world is watching them, the, the cameras are on them, they're on the big screens, the whole world is watching them, it's live television, and how awesome if she says yes and they hug and everybody goes wild, and how horrible, I've seen it, you can YouTube it, she says no, and it is like... Oh gosh, I'd hate to be that guy, right? This is what Jesus did for you. He humbled himself to that extent. God, the creator of the universe, came out of heaven and onto the cross. That, in essence, was he took a knee before the entire world, before all the heavenly hosts, and he said, will you enter into this relationship with me? He bore himself. He exposed himself. He humbled himself. He died for us. And he said, will you say yes? I can worship a God that humble. I can love a God that humble. I can trust a God that humble. And all he wants for us to do is to say yes and enter into this relationship with him. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And if you have a thriving relationship with this God, what happens? One, You bear much fruit. Second, what happens? Well, you pray and Jesus says, it will be done unto you. And this is because when you're walking with God, your heart is in sync with his heart. Now we can cross-reference that second promise that your prayers will be answered with Psalm chapter 37. Delight yourself in the Lord. What is this? Know God intimately. Delight yourself in the Lord. What is this? Walk with God until one day you are no more. Delight yourself in the Lord. What is this? Remain in me or abide in me. Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord. And what happens? He will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean if you want a new bicycle, he'll give you a new bicycle? No. It means he will give you what to want. And as you delight yourself in him, then your desires wash away and then he emburdens your heart with his desires. As Elizabeth Elliot wrote, I wish I could wish what God wished. And if I don't wish what God wished, I wish what I wish would just go away. How many of you guys have been there? She said, if, I think it's actually Billy Graham's wife who said, if God answered every one of my prayers, I would have married the wrong man like five times or something of this nature. And so when we walk with God and when we delight ourselves in God, what happens? Our desires begin to wash away. And his desires begin to fill our heart. He gives us what to desire so that you have this conviction. I remember I was at a Bible study years ago, and we were walking with God. His desires were our desires. Our desires were crucified, sacrificed on the altar. All we wanted was Him. And His desires so filled our hearts. And this is when I just first tasted and saw that the Lord was good in my college days. And all I wanted was to know him and to make him known. I didn't have another desire in my heart but those two. Well, his desire so filled my heart. And we had this Friday night Bible study. And um, we were talking about how the power of God still heals today. This guy comes in. His name's Bruce. And Bruce had a brace around his neck. And Bruce came in late. And he said, Bruce, what happened, man? He said, well, I fell off or I had an accident on my moped and, and I fractured my neck. We said, you know what? The power.
power of God still heals. Bruce, sit down, and we're all going to gather around you and pray that God heals you. And we all put a hand on Bruce, and we prayed for him, and we said, Amen. And we said, Bruce, man, the power of God is going to touch you. You're, gonna, you're healed. He says, well, he went back to the doctor on Monday for more x-rays. He said, great. Well, I can't wait to hear these reports. Well, all weekend long I was thinking, because I'm still just human, I was thinking, shoot, what did I just do? I put everybody's faith up on the line, and what if God doesn't heal Bruce? Well, I've learned since then to pray bold and hold nothing back with no reservations, because God can defend his name. And I have learned to be okay with saying, not my will, your will be done. But I will not neglect a blessing because I fail to pray with faith, believing. So, I was just fasting and praying all weekend. And then Monday, this is back in the days of answering machines. Monday, in my house on the answering machine, I heard a message and it said, Shane, and he was just so excited, he was stuttering over himself. He said, Shane, I just can't believe it. I just got back from the doctor and he said that there's no, there's no cracks. I mean, nothing, it's, it's healed. I have nothing wrong with me. And, They said that something must have been wrong with the first x-ray, but we knew that God had healed him. You know, God does things like that all the time, but why aren't we praying like that all the time? Because our our, our desires, our heart is so confused. It's so divided, isn't it? That's why David prayed, oh God, unite my heart, unite my heart to fear your name because my heart is divided. Unite my heart. When we have a relationship with God, our heart is united, it's concentrated, it's focused, and there's conviction, and there's an assurance that what we pray will be answered because we know that we're praying the will of God, because we're walking with God. And we don't know that we're praying the will of God just because we're walking with God. We know that we're praying the will of God because we know God. We know God. And we sense His voice. We hear His voice. We sense His conviction. I've heard the voice of God. But I've also heard the voice of God through His Scripture. And my heart being convinced that God is going to do this. This thing God is going to do. I've had a conviction and God put a promise on my heart from His Word. And I just had a conviction. God is going to do this. When we have a relationship with God, we bear much fruit and our prayers are answered. And our prayers are answered because our heart is consistent with God's heart because we're walking so close with Him. And the closer we walk with God, the more our desires wash away and His desires fill our heart. And there's a third promise for walking with God, a relationship with God. And it says... Verse 6. Actually, let's go to verse 8. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Oh, actually, verse 7. Okay, I have a confession to make. My eyes are getting blurry as, I, as I'm getting older. I haven't seen Jeremy back there in years, and he hugged me. He says, man, you, you haven't changed a bit. Well, that was very kind of you, but my eyes are changing a little bit. Here we go, verse Six. Okay. <laughs> if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. As such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. And then here's the third promise. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Showing yourself to be my disciples. What's the third promise? The third promise is that you will bring God glory. You will bring God glory. And you'll have a passion for the glory of God's name. What is God's glory? Why why is God so into his glory? Is that not self-serving? No. No, it's not. 
Why is God so into his glory being revealed in the earth? Why? Because God's glory is life to us. It's like standing on the mountaintop and breathing in the crisp, fresh air of Colorado. It is life to your lungs. See, God is the air, and we are the breathers. God is the sea, and we are the explorers. God is life, and we are the livers. And we live when we experience His glory, when we are caught up in His glory. What is the glory of God? Well, we see glory as, as, you know, somebody makes a big catch in the NFL and all the stadium just kind of celebrating that great catch. Well, what is glory? The actual definition, the actual term, the actual essence of glory is this. It's God's nearness. It's his proximity. So Sean Socher, would you walk up here? You guys give it up for Sean Socher. <laughs> it's a good... Good buddy of mine. Good. So, Sean is going to represent God. And I'll represent you and me. So, Sean, if you would step way over there by that speaker, and I'll step way over here by this speaker. So, what is God's glory? God's glory is His nearness. It's His proximity. For example, uh, we see that, like, in Genesis chapter 1, the Garden of Eden was filled with God's glory. And... When Jesus redeems new Jerusalem and a new earth, when he returns, guess what? We're going to need no sun. Why? Because God's glory is going to be the sun. God's glory is going to be the warmth. God's glory is going to be the oxygen that our spiritual beings breathe. And so, God's glory is his nearness and his proximity. So, when we have a relationship with God, here's what happens. We seek God, and then God says, I'll come to you. Draw near to me, God says, and I will draw near to you. He says, call upon me, and I will answer you. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things. And the closer we get in our relationship with God, what is God's glory? It's His nearness. It's His proximity. And then people can sense God's glory around us. And because of God's glory around us, they want to know God more as well. Thank you, Sean. So that is God's glory. So we've talked about a relationship with God, right? We've talked about it's critical, it's foundational. And we've talked about this relationship of God begins with us already being clean through Christ, right? Through faith in Christ. We are already clean. And we have to go back to that. Because aren't we all legalists to the core? And we all go out there and we we will leave here and immediately feel beat up and guilty and start hiding from God. And start wallowing in some escape of sin with this love-hate relationship. Or we'll start wallowing in religious works to hopefully one day be good enough to feel, to feel acceptable to God. And so that's why this whole relationship with God thing begins, Jesus said with this statement, You are already clean because of me, because of the cross. You're already clean. You are forgiven. You are the righteousness of God. You are loved. And this is the essence of condemnation. No. The essence of condemnation drives us away from God, but the essence of the conviction of the Holy Spirit drives us to God. Because the lie behind condemnation is God could never love you again. Who are you to pray? Who are you to think God could ever use you? Who are you? But the essence, the bottom line of the conviction of the Holy Spirit is Jesus with his arms wide saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. You don't clean yourself up. You come to me and let me clean you up. Come unto me. Return to me. Return to your first love. And as long as you are hiding from God, and as long as you are running from God, there will always be sadness in your heart. And as long as you are running from God, 
there will always be sadness in the heart of God. Because he created you for a relationship. I know if some of you are diehard five-point Calvinists trying to find the sixth point of Calvinism, you're thinking, you can't cause God to have sadness. God is self-sufficient. He's unchanging and all of these things, all of these theological reasons. But reality is, in the Old Testament, we see that God is a jealous God. And he saw his people and his hands almost begin trembling because he was so jealous. Not envious, not like, I don't want you to be blessed because I want to be more blessed. That's envy. That's not God. God is jealous. That means he gets very jealous when anything comes between him and his relationship with us. God is a jealous God. And we can stir God's jealousy by allowing something to come between us and him. And on top of that, the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus and what? It caused him sadness. On top of that, Jesus looked out over Jerusalem, and what did he do? He wept, he lamented. Why? Because he knew that they weren't going to repent and turn to him, and he grieved over them. On top of that, if just one sinner repents, what happens? There is joy in the presence of the angels. It doesn't say the angels are joyful. There's joy in the presence of the angels. Who's in the presence of the angels? Jesus. On top of that, the prodigal son, we see that the prodigal father, the prodigal son returns. And what does the prodigal dad do? With joy, with tears, he runs and he embraces and he never stops kissing his son. You better believe that your actions can affect God's heart. You can cause God joy. You can cause God sadness. You can cause God jealousy. You can cause God grief, depending upon how close you are in your relationship with him. But you're already clean And his arms are wide. Return to him. And these are the promises that result. One, you will bear much fruit. Two, don't try to do anything on your own. You can't. Two, your prayers will be answered. And three, you will bring God much, much glory. And that will cause people to praise him and want to know him. And they're going to see you and they're going to say, you know what? I was a skeptic. I was, I was turned off on religion. I was through with God. I was mad at God. I was an atheist, whatever it might be. Or I was turned off on religion, whatever it is. But I saw you. And I want to know the God that you worship. I want to know the God that you glorify. So how do you have a relationship with Jesus? Well... This is a critical tool. You've got to have the word. It's his love letter to you. It's an instruction manual. It's a road map. It's a, it's a treasure chest. His promises are waiting for you here. It's a lifeline. It's breath. It's the, this is the breath of heaven. Not the pages, but the divine words. It's the breath of heaven. The Bible says about itself that it's all scripture is God breathed. This isn't God's encapsulated breath from the past. This is God's breath from the present. This is how we live in this world and we breathe in divine air from heaven. It's like a snorkel. You can be underwater and through a snorkel breathe in oxygen from another world. And in the same way, we can be in this world but not of this world and we can breathe in divine air from heaven. We breathe in peace, joy, love, conviction, faith. It's the word of God. How often do you need to read from the Word of God? Will the Scriptures say, I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands? Psalm 119. The Scriptures say in Psalm 119, daily, daily I long for your commands. Daily I read your commands. 
This is the bread of life. This is the light of the world. How often do you need light daily? How often do you need bread daily? How often do you need the word daily throughout the word? If you don't eat something for like two months and you go get in a fight, you're going to get beat up. Why? Because you're going to be weak physically. Every day we are bombarded by the enemy. Every day we are bombarded by our flesh. Every day we're bombarded by temptation. Scriptures say, how shall a young man keep his way clean? By taking heed according to the word. Every day we've got to be in the word. Every day. It's bread for our spirits. I've loved to read since I was a kid. My first book, you know, real book that I read was the The Call of the Wild by Jack London. Great book. And then, you know, from there I went to where the red fern grows. And, um, you know, I just always loved to read. And I remember one day, I always loved to read, but I never loved to go to school. (laughs) And I remember one day I, uh, you know, I, I was sick. And I don't know if I was really sick, but I stayed home all day saying I was sick. And I just felt like reading something and... You know, we had um, this commentary said it was, it was the Bible written for kids. And of course, this is way before the day of apps and all that, where you just listen to the word, but, which I think is unfortunate. I like apps, so I won't, I won't get into that. But anyway, I was a kid. And so I opened up the word, and I started in Genesis. I mean, I read deep into the word. I started early in the morning... Late afternoon, I knew something was supernatural about this. Because I could read Texas history, and it didn't give me joy. I could immerse myself in the call of the wild, and it didn't increase my my love and my heart and my energy. But when I immersed myself in the word... I had joy, I had peace, I had love, I had more energy than I knew what to do with, and I knew there was something supernatural about the Word of God. How many days do we let come and go without being in the Word? Every day we have to read the Word of God. Every day we've got to read the Word of God. Your heart cannot maintain its love for Jesus. Your heart cannot maintain its awareness of Jesus' love for you. If you're not in the Word of God every day, you're a weak, anemic, vulnerable, susceptible Christian, not filled with the Spirit, but filled with the flesh, who's on the verge of stumbling. Unless you're in the Word every single day. Then... You have peace, you have joy, you have direction, you have focus, and your desires are beating in sync with God's desires, which means your prayers are not aimless. They are focused. Did you know that you can pray without faith? You can cry out to God and still crash because your prayers lack focus. What gives our prayers focus? The Word of God. When we pray the Word of God, we are praying the will of God. And so we know that whatever we pray is yes and amen. And the more we stay in the word and the more we learn to depend upon the word more than even bread then the more our hearts have a steadiness and a certainty and an assurance and a conviction 
Every day, we've got to read the Word of God. And I've noticed over the years a telltale sign to determine whether or not I'm reading the Word of God for religion or out of relationship. Do I rush my time in the Word? See, if I, if I read the Bible, okay, I've got I to get five psalms in today, and so I read all five psalms, okay, got it, good. And then I rush off to what I'm doing next, then I know I'm, I'm in kind of religion mode, and we're all susceptible to religion mode, and I know that at the heart of what I'm doing is not to know God intimately, but the, the heart of what I'm doing is to check off a box on my agenda, and on my religious to-do thing, and then off to the next religious check-a-box thing. How do you know if you're reading it for intimacy's sake rather than obligation's sake? Well, you linger in the presence of God. You don't rush it. I don't care if I get all five chapters in of my psalms, my daily psalms. I don't care if I get all five chapters. I don't care if I get all five, five verses. I don't care if I just get one verse. Some of my best times in the Word, I might have had five chapters planned out, but I, I got stumped and I got stopped on one verse and I just stayed there, you know? And I prayed that. And I said, God, I'm counting on you. I'm believing that. And I wrote it down, and I wrote a prayer out, and, and so forth. So, obligation rushes the time in the Word. Intimacy? Intimacy lingers. See, obligation opens it up, reads it, okay, done, did it. And Jesus is like, you don't love me. I mean, this isn't out of love. What's, what's the deal? It's like, on, it's like on your honeymoon, just throwing a present at your spouse here. I'm supposed to get you something there. That's not going to go over very well. And it doesn't go over very well with God. He's all about the heart. And so we open it. And then you close your eyes before you read and you say, God, speak to me. Speak to me. As Samuel said, speak to me for your servants listening. Downshift. See, life moves in fifth gear. We can't know God in fifth gear. That's why the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. There's a correlation between slowing down, between being still and knowing God intimately. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. So life is moving in fifth, fifth gear. We cannot attempt to know God in fifth gear. That's why we've got to downshift fourth gear. Okay, God, speak to me. Your servant's listening. Third gear. You just maybe pray. Re- repent of some sins. Confess some sins to the Lord. Maybe write out sins or maybe write out a prayer. Maybe pray acts, adoration, A, adore God. Spend some time adoring Him. C, confess sin. T, thanksgiving. S, supplication. I pray the acts all the time. It's a pretty close model of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Acts, just pray. You're at third gear, second gear. You're slowing down. And read the Word. You just read. See if the Lord has a promise for you comforting word to you, a word of correction, a word of change. and Pray as you're reading and now you're in first gear. But in first gear, people, people oftentimes say, okay, great, okay, I did it, right? And then back on to more obligations. But you are uh, in first gear, you are about ready to go where few people have gone before. Not because they're not spiritual enough, they're just too busy. They're just too, too busy watching reruns, too busy with their smartphones, too, too busy with religious works, whatever it might be. They're just too busy. But now you're almost in a place where you go where a few people have gone before, and this is where you really hear the voice of the Lord. 
Like Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And you know, as Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm God. You know that you're still enough, quiet enough to hear the voice of the Lord speak to your heart in a relationship. When you hear some things that you've never heard before. Like, the hum of the heater or the ticking of the clock or the flickering of the candles and then you just close your eyes and you say speak Lord for your servant is listening and the Lord might remind you of a promise that you heard when you were in elementary school He might give you a peace about a direction that you've been wanting to take. He might place on your heart a picture of something in the future that He wants to do through you. He might remind you of His love. You might even hear Him speak your name. And the tears will flow and you'll have so much peace peace because you will be immersed in the knowledge that he knows you and he loves you and we are to do this every day and when you do that every day then you stumble into something that brother Lawrence called the practice of the presence of God This means every day throughout the day, you're aware of His presence. You're communing with Him. And something in your heart is longing to get back to God. You're communing with Him all day long. You're driving across town. You're helping a a friend move. You're exercising. You're walking into the hall. You're going into a meeting, but you're always communing with God and leaning upon Him and worshiping Him and praying to Him. I remember one brother, he just, he said, Shane, five years, I have not grown a bit with you. Five years under your leadership, I have not grown spiritually a bit. And I called him by name. I said, you know what? Five years ago, we had a big theological argument. Do you remember what that was? You said you didn't need time in the Word of God every day. That's what you told me. You said quiet times, devotional times were, 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 were something that you didn't need. And you challenged me on that. And here we are five years later and you're complaining that you haven't grown a bit. It's not because of my sermons. I mean, they may not be the best sermons in the world, but they're not horrible either. It's because you haven't spent time in the Word every day. You haven't sought God in the secret place every day. I don't care if you're under Billy Graham's preaching every weekend. If you don't spend time with the Lord every day, you are not going to grow an ounce. In fact, you're going to regress. And I don't care how badly I might stand up and butcher the Word of God every Sunday. If you're in the Word every day and seeking to know Him and to love Him and to walk with Him, you're going to be a spiritual giant in five years. But are we still stumbling into the same sin? Do we still have the same fears? Do we still have the same loveless heart? Have we borne fruit? Are our prayers answered? Are we bringing God glory? All of that can be answered with this. Do we know God intimately? 
Are we seeking Him daily? Now, the practice of the presence of God is critical. It's the pinnacle. It's the apex. It's the height. It's the summit of the Christian faith. They're Christ addicts. They've arrived. They've, they've scaled the summit. They've reached it. They, they, they're addicted to God. They, they, they long for another fix from the living water and the, and the bread of life. But we cannot arrive at this place of the practice of presence of God without spending daily time with Him. It's not a substitute for the practice of the presence of God. And the practice of the presence of God doesn't replace the time of God. I have found that the practice of the presence of God in my daily life is impossible without it being sustained by my daily time with God in the secret place. I don't have the spiritual stamina. I don't have the spiritual capacity. I don't have the spiritual awareness. I don't have the spiritual attentiveness. I don't have the spiritual sensitivity to maintain the practice of the presence of God without the catapult being my daily time with the Lord. And in summary, let me repeat this. The entire Christian faith can be summed up with these three words. Knowing God intimately. It is not about doing for God. It is about knowing God. It is not a religion. It is a relationship with a communicative, dynamic, loving, compassionate God whose heart we can affect by our responsiveness towards Him or our indifference toward him. Jesus said, you're already clean. Let's get that out of the way. Now let's get right down to the good stuff. Seek me, know me, walk with me. And the result of that, you're going to bear much fruit. Your prayers are going to be answered and I'm going to be so glorified in your life. Would you stand with me, please? You know, let me just close us out with a prayer this morning. And I just want to close you out with a prayer and encourage you to get back to the main thing. We're on the verge of a new year coming in, and here comes this new year, January 2016. Let's stay focused on the main thing, and the main thing is a relationship with Jesus. It's a daily time with Him. It's loving God. And again, if you've ever loved Him, if you've ever trusted in Him, If you've ever depended upon Him more than you do today, you were in a backslidden state. There is no such thing as holding your ground in the Christian faith. There's no such thing as neutral. We we are either advancing or we are regressing. And it is all about the relationship. Let's seek Him. Let's know Him. Like Moses, demand that you hear His voice. God loves that. Like Moses, demand that you see His face. God loves that. Like Moses, refuse to take another step. Refuse to enter into any religious work unless your heart is filled with intimacy with Him. It's just a secret place. Jesus accessed the shores of Galilee and the mountains. Moses accessed the mountains. Elijah accessed the mountains. Zechariah accessed the, the temple. You might access your closet. A literal prayer closet. It might be the utility room. It might be in the office before anybody else arrives. It might be at lunch break when everybody else is gone. Uh, It might be after all the kids have gone to bed. The important thing is that every day you seek Him, not out of obligation, but with a demand to know Him more than you've ever known Him before. So, let me pray. Um, but before I do pray, is that Jarrett Westfall back there? Hey, Jarrett, Jarrett and Garrett, you guys come on up here if you would. 
Um, man, this is an incredible family. Ginger's up there. We're going to pray these guys up as, and uh, send them out, really, as missionaries. We're going to s- s- view this as sending y'all out as missionaries to Gustine. <laughs> Gustine, Texas. You guys come up. Sean, would you please bring me that towel on the front row there? Thank you. You guys remember that story I tell about Baja Beach where the rain stopped? Sean was there that night. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. This is, this is a towel. This is like the highest honor at Hope Works. We give these out every now and then. And, uh, you know, we don't give gold trophies or awards or anything like that. It's the towel. Why a towel? Because Jesus picked up the towel in the water basin and he washed the disciples' feet and he said, do you likewise. And so it's a towel with Hope Works monogrammed on it. And man, we just want to give you guys that and just say that we love y'all. And they're, they're, they're moving to Gustine, Texas. And it's only an hour and a half away. So I think they can still be here on Sunday mornings. But if, if the Lord leads them to get a church in Gustine, that's fine. But they have touched our lives in a very special way. And so I just want to just pray over you guys and just thank him for y'all. So Father, I thank you so much for the West Falls. What an amazing family. We love them so much. We pray that you would bless them everywhere that they go, uh, and we pray that as you lead them onward, that you would use them in the same capacity that you've used them here, and even greater capacities of encouraging and serving and edifying your church family. Bless this family in Jesus' name. Amen. And we love you guys very much. Let's give it up for these guys. And so, you guys, uh, before I pray and dismiss y'all, you guys finish a few sentences for me, all right? Uh, The Christian life is not about religion, it's about what? It's not about doing more for God, it's in three words. And that means that we don't seek Him out of obligation, we seek Him for intimacy's sake. Every day, every day, know God. Know Him like you've never known Him. It's a relationship. Uh, How many of you guys in here are under the age of, say, 21? Raise your hand. All right. God has incredible plans for you. It is never too early to start seeking God. It is never too early to have the heart for God and for God to glorify Himself. Josiah was eight years old when he sparked a revival. God sparked revival through him. Josiah was eight. When David and Joseph each received their calling, they were 17. I, I, when I received my calling, I was, gosh, I was, I was probably 18. And I knew, I, I wanted two things, two desires in my heart when I was about 18, 19. Two desires. Two desires. I only had two desires. One, to know God like I've never known Him. And two, to make Him known. It's never too early to start seeking God. Now I'm not going to raise your hand and say how many of you are over the age of 75 or anything like that. But let me tell you this much. When, when Moses received his calling, he was 80. When Abraham received his calling, he was 75. It is never too early and it is never too late to seek God, to know God, to have joy indescribable, filled with glory, to have the peace of God that passes all understanding, for people to look at you and want God and to create a godly legacy. But it's not about just going out and doing stuff. 
We so often do stuff and say, God, bless what I'm doing. And God says, I never told you to do that. God doesn't say do stuff. God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It's a relationship. And when we dive into this relationship, not tippy-toe, you know, just kind of test the temperature of the waters, but when we run and just do a swan dive into this relationship with Jesus Christ, oh, we know joy and life and peace. Just don't try to clean yourself up. Condemnation will get the best of you. Just seek God. You're already clean in Christ. Seek Him. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the saints of Hope Works. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would encourage them. And I pray for their relationships with you. That is the main thing. Draw them close to you. Stir their hearts with a hunger, with a passion to seek you with a holy fervor that cannot be extinguished by this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are dismissed.